I don't know if you realize it, but a miracle is happening before your very eyes. Joshua 10 records such an account where the sun stood still in the sky for a whole day. And for whatever reason, the Lord has chosen to do that for us this morning. So, the wonders of technology. Turn with me to John 20. I'd like to welcome you to our sunrise service. I thought I was just going to be talking to Tim and Brad this morning, so I'm, I'm glad that you all made it here. That we could celebrate this together. Now, I know many of you are familiar with the events that surrounded Jesus' death and resurrection, and we can sometimes allow that familiarity to deaden our emotion to what happened. Well, this morning I want to take you back in your mind's eye to that Sunday morning maybe about 1980 years ago. And I want you to put yourself in the place of those who had been with Jesus. Imagine yourself that you spent three years with this incredible man. You've seen and experienced wonders, amazing miracles. You've heard sermons like have never been heard before. You followed this man. You loved him. It's Friday, 3 p.m. Your world is rocked. Your anticipation that Jesus would at some point while he was on the cross take himself down and take his rightful throne on the earth is dashed. In fact, he's come to a horrible and disgraceful end, hung on a tree. That was something for cursed people. That was something for wicked men, not for your expected king. Your hopes in a Messiah who would... Get rid of Roman rule over you and establish God's kingdom on earth are gone. They're shattered. Your hero is dead. You're stunned. You're shocked. That's not what you expected to happen. Wasn't this the expected one? Wasn't this the Messiah? It just can't be. As you stare upon his body, as he said, it is finished on that cross and he breathes his last breath. You're thinking to yourself, this just cannot be. You're in complete shock. Saturday is a terrible day. You reflect on all that your Savior had, your thought it was your Savior, had done those years that you were with Him. Think of the memories that you had with Him. And He's gone now. You still cannot believe it. It's Sunday morning. You decide uh, Sabbath is over. You want to wake up early, go down to the tomb, and bring some spices there to properly prepare his body for burial. More than that, you just want to see him one more time, even if it is just his dead body. Follow along with me in John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. 
So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Miriam. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. There's a lot to ponder here. And look at and, and gaze upon. And I've been meditating on this passage uh, throughout the week. And rather than uh, give you a detailed exposition of the chapter, I just wanted to share with you three reflections that I had on this um, account from John, just as I considered the resurrection. They aren't in any specific level of importance. In fact, some of them aren't even the main thrust of the text, but just things that, that I observed as I looked through this and thought about it. They were things that struck me this week, and I hope as I share them with you, they will strike you in the same way. And the first reflection I had was in regards to Mary. Now, John chose of of all the people to focus on in this account is Mary Magdalene. And, you know, she was the first person that Jesus appeared to. And I think as we read through this chapter, we can see why. Mary had a special affection for Christ. You know, Peter and John are mentioned, but Mary's the one that's given Special notice by John. She resided at Magdala, which is a a town on the west coast of Galilee. Uh, What we learn about her is in Luke 8, 1 to 3. We learn that she was the woman from whom Jesus had cast seven demons and that she had spent time with Jesus. There was a group of people outside of the disciples who were with Christ, some of whom provided financial support and some of whom served uh, the the, uh, people there in terms of food and, and things like that. Well, Mary was one of them. So she had been with Jesus at least for half of his ministry, if not a little bit longer. Mary was among the few who were at Jesus' crucifixion. She was alone or with another, the other Mary, it says in the Gospels, when Jesus was buried in the tomb. She stayed there after the stone was rolled over the face of the tomb. We don't know for how long. She was one of, she was the last person to see Jesus' body go in that tomb. And she's the first one to come and see him Sunday morning. Her discovery of Christ's missing body brought her great distress. In fact, she immediately gets up and she runs to Peter and John to tell him he's gone. Somebody's taken him. She comes back and then she remains at the tomb. She's sobbing, she's weeping. The tense of the verb there, it's ongoing. She's distraught. And it's not a quiet crying she's experiencing here. She's, she could be crying loudly. She's discouraged. And what is it that she's weeping over? What is it that has gripped her heart and brought her such sorrow? Well, she says it three different times. 
Where have they taken Jesus? Where's his body? She even tells Jesus, who she thinks at the time is the gardener, where is he? I'll go get him. That like she could carry a a full-grown man back to the tomb. But that's not what's on her mind at this moment. It is simply this, that my Lord is gone. Where is he? She's full of grief, so much so that when two angels are speaking with her, it doesn't even appear that she recognizes them to be angels. And again, she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus at first. I love John Newton's uh, poem. It's called Mary to Her Savior's Tomb. And I think he reflects Mary's thoughts at this point. Let me just read the first couple of stanzas. Mary to her Savior's tomb, hasted at early dawn, spice she brought and sweet perfume, but the Lord... The loved was gone. For a while she weeping stood, struck with sorrow and surprise, shedding tears, a plenteous flood, for her heart supplied her eyes. It's well put, Mr. Newton. Mary says to the angels, they've taken away my Lord. And G. Campbell Morgan said of that statement, I never read that without feeling rebuked at the loyal, loving devotion of Mary Magdalene. He might be dead and buried, but he was still her Lord, unquote. When she does realize that it is Jesus, what does she do? <laughs> she grabs onto him and she won't let go. So much so Jesus said, stop clinging to me. I've got to go. But she doesn't want to let go of her Savior. She is so full of joy. And though many have brought attention to Mary's lack of faith here, which she didn't understand She didn't know at this point before she had seen Jesus that he was to rise from the dead. None of us can dare question her love, can we? Mary has much to teach us about devotion to the Savior. And as I read John's account of Mary here, I I had to question my own heart. Do I have such a love and affection for Christ? I mean, what about you? As, As you read about the torture and death of Jesus, is your heart stirred? As you read about and hear about and reflect on and sing about his crucifixion, the mocking, the blasphemy, the insults, what is it that you feel? Is your heart pricked? Is your soul pierced? Mary's was in agony. Has his death become too familiar to you? And I appreciated your emotion this morning, Brad. I I think that was appropriate. That's exactly what Mary was experiencing. Her heart was was full of sorrow, but then at the sight of her Savior was full of great joy. Oh, that we would learn from dear Mary, one whom Jesus had delivered seven demons from. Can you imagine the torment, having seven demons inside of you and living with that? Yet she'd been delivered from it. She is the shining example of one who's been forgiven much will love much. You know, you and I have been forgiven much. And for her devotion, Mary Magdalene, not Peter, Not John, not even Jesus' mother is given the privilege to see our risen Lord first on this earth. Well, let's turn our attention to the disciples, verse 19, and the first appearance that they have of Jesus as a risen Lord. Verse 19, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Let's stop there. You know, the second thing that struck me was in this first meeting with his disciples, what is it that Jesus immediately draws their attention to? He shows them his hands and his side. He didn't have them gaze upon his face, but upon his hands. He did not draw their attention to the perfections of his glorified body, but to his scars. He reminded them not of his resurrection at first, but of his death. And these marks remain on his resurrected body today and for eternity. And when you and I see Jesus, we're going to see those scars. What will you be thinking when you see them? There's a wonderful hymn that we sing before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That is true. My name was written on his hands with an iron nail. My name was graven on his heart at the end of a spear. And when I ponder looking at those wounds someday, though I will see what my sin cost, I will also see what my Savior was willing to pay. And though when I look upon those scars, I see the results of my wickedness, I will also see the results of Christ's love for me. I will see that Jesus has chosen for all eternity to bear those marks that I put there. Spurgeon said of this, those wounds, those scars of our Lord were the memorials of his love to his people. They set forth his love so that his chosen can see the tokens, but they're also memorials to himself. He condescendingly bears these as his reminders in heaven at this moment upon the person of our blessed Lord. There are the scars of his crucifixion. Centuries have gone by, and yet he looks like a lamb that has been slain. Steadily look with the eyes of your faith into the glory and see your master's wounds and say within yourself, he has compassion on us still. He bears the marks of his passion. Can there ever be any doubt of Christ's love for you? That love will be on full display for all eternity. That love is on display even now as Christ intercedes for you. And that love is on display as Christ reaches out those hands to seek and save the lost. Indeed, Christ has come into the world to save sinners, among whom me and you are foremost. Well, finally, let's look at dear Thomas, verse 24. It's gotten a lot of press. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. Then he reached, or then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. 
reach here your hand and put into my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. You know, Thomas is often chided for um, his staunch refusal to believe unless he sees it. But you know what? He does serve as a model for the proper response to a risen Lord, doesn't he? He shows us how we are to respond when it hits him that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, is indeed the one who's risen from the dead. He gives the essence or the the very heart of the gospel message itself when he exclaims, my Lord and my God. That's the primary proclamation of good news to this earth. That's the heart of God's message to this planet. It's a call to worship him. It's a call to fall at his feet in allegiance to him. It's a call to turn away from sin and turn to the Savior. He's the only one who's worthy of our worship. He's the only one that can save you. Listen to what John later saw in his vision of heaven in Revelation 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Picture this saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What a picture. And that's exactly what was at the heart of Thomas's exclamation. That is what Mary did when she realized that it was Jesus as she clung tightly to him. That's exactly what the women did as they saw Jesus on their way to go back to the disciples as Brad read in Matthew 28, 9. What did they do? They hit the deck. They grabbed his feet. They clung to him and it says they worshiped him. It is the name of Jesus that will fell all of creation to bow at his feet. It is his name that every tongue is going to confess as Lord of the universe. And it is only his name that will grant entrance into heaven's door. Worship the Lamb of God now. That is why we've come here this morning, to be reminded of this Savior, to be reminded that he's alive now, to be reminded that he is our Lord and our God we need to sing. Uh, Tim, you want to come up? And as we do, I just I want you to reflect on those three things. On Mary's devotion, on Christ's wounds, and on Thomas's declaration. Amen.